0: Good morning. Welcome. Glad you're here. Beginning a new series called Good Grief. Blessed are those who mourn. It's one of those truths in the Bible that we have to take by faith. I you'd agree that experiences of grief don't often leave us feeling blessed. And what we're going to do in this series, we're going to look at biblical stories where grief enters the lives of Jesus and those he walks with. And in so doing, as we look at these stories, what we're going to discover are junctures where something interesting happens, where good and grief intersect. It's easy to believe that sad is bad. Loss is painful, and the Greek word for grief means to experience pain. And interestingly, the Bible, while admitting to the pain of grief, puts grief in a different light. Grief is a place where we interface with God in a personal way. The blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. And in the passive tense, they will be comforted assumes that God is the one that does the comforting. So in grief, we intersect or interface with God in a real way. Not only so, but grief is a place where we receive things from God that we can distribute to others. Paul writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is in 2 Corinthians 1, through 3-5. It says, It talks about God, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And this is what it says about God, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows." So the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, but also the comfort of God flows over into our lives, and because so, we have something to give somebody else. So grief is a place where we interface with God, and we receive things from God that we can make known to others, real things. We will look at stories in this series in which sadness becomes a door through which men and women connect meaningfully with God. We're going to begin with a woman who meets Jesus, and this meeting proves to be a crossroads experience for her. Let's read the story. Luke 7, read 36 through 47. There's a worship sheet in your worship folder if you'd like to read along silently as I read out out loud. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house. I reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet... He would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii. A denarii is a day's wage. So about a month, a year and a half worth of wages. The other 50, neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you her many sins have been forgiven for she loved much but he who has been forgiven loves little. Story is one of the great stories in the Bible for a couple of reasons. Jesus doesn't merely defend a sinful woman against the criticism of a Pharisee. He drives home, Jesus does, in an unforgettable way. Something that is of interest to us, the relationship between divine forgiveness and human love. And when we tune in this story, Jesus drives home in an unforgettable way, because the scene is so poignant, so picturesque, the relationship between divine forgiveness and human love. The Pharisee invites Jesus to a meal. very possible that it's a Sabbath meal following a synagogue service. The Pharisee calls Jesus' teacher, it's, Possible, likely maybe, that Jesus had something to say at that synagogue service. And the way it worked, then there probably was an open invitation. Synagogues were not very large. You needed, I think, eight or nine families. So, and after this synagogue service, the Pharisee opened his home for a meal. And and different individuals came, and he made a point to ask Jesus to come, and Jesus did so. Again, because it's more of a banquet than a private dinner, this woman who was a sinner enters the picture. She wouldn't have been at the synagogue, I don't believe. I don't know if they would have let her. We don't know what her sin is. We're not told. She could have been a prostitute, but that detail is left out. Um, At any rate, because it is a banquet, she enters the home. She doesn't crash this party. There's people walking in and out, and so she walks in. Uh, She learns that Jesus is eating at the Pharisee's house, and she wants to be there. She positions herself as close to Jesus as she could get, since he was reclining a table with the other guests. And if you take a look, this is what it meant to recline a table. You lay down, lie down on surfaces, benches, and there was a table in the middle, and these surfaces you would lie on and their pillows and you would eat with leaning down like that so jesus feet would have been away from the table and this is what it might have looked like jesus might have been perpendicular to the table but at any rate this is as close as this woman can get um having loosened her headdress she unbinds her hair she is weeping all over his feet and she wipes away the tears With her hair. And then she kisses his feet. Kisses are the marks of honor. accorded to one whom she sees as God's agent of salvation. The cause for her tears is not expressed. But we can understand the cause for her tears. It could be a couple of things. Um, It's been assumed, usually, that it's repentance. This woman is at a place where... She uh understands she has led a sinful life and she might be coming to Jesus and understanding how sinful she is and feels deep grief over the life she has lived. That really could be... That's one of the reasons why she could be crying all over Jesus' feet. Another reason is... Um, weeping for joy at the realization of forgiveness that she's already experienced. So it's either because she wants to receive forgiveness or because she's already received it. Which one? Uh, that's a good question. And we'll try to address that question. In any case, uh, the tears that are being shed, either seeking or because of forgiveness, they certainly prevent us from Interpreting her actions in an erotic sense. She's not coming on to Jesus. She's not picking him up. She is expressing, that's what her tears show us, and people in the place would have understood that as the case. Her actions surprise the Pharisee. The prophet should be able to perceive the character of the person with whom he deals. So why is Jesus allowing this woman to do what he's doing? To do what she's doing? And then Jesus, as he tells a parable, and we'll look at the parable, but let's go past the parable to what which which Jesus says, and it's something that is is—it's an important statement, and we'll try to understand it. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. Her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. And leaves us with a question. Uh, Her love. Was it the reason for her forgiveness or the result of it? Her love. That's what Jesus is pointing out. The tears, the wiping of the hair on the feet, the anointing. Is this the reason for forgiveness or the result of it? It's an important question, don't you think? Something that we're going to want to know. God cares about love. How's it happen? Um, is her love the root of forgiveness? Or is her love the fruit of forgiveness? Jesus' parable answers the question, I think, He says in verse 40, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Verse 41, two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, and he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. I think the parable would provide us with an answer for that question of whether the love was the root or the fruit of forgiveness. The verb translated canceled, when he canceled the debt, it's literally he graced the debt. It's, it's, the, root, it's the word from which we get the root word, grace. Grace is... and. Cancel. It's to do someone a favor, to bestow graciously, and that's the image here. That this guy had every right to expect and exact this money that was owed him. He was a money lender. This was an official transaction, and what he did, he graced them by giving them a favor. He um, bestowed graciously that. They wouldn't have to pay back. It's a voluntary, freely chosen act. That's the thing that the word tells us. It's a voluntary, freely chosen act. It's a technical term for remitting debts or sins. So if you owed somebody something they and they didn't require the payment, they graced you. They graced you with respect to the payment. The reason for the cancellation of this debt for this gracious stole is that they didn't have the money to pay the debt, which there are a couple bankers here and if somebody doesn't have the means to repay a loan, forgiving the loan is not the usual procedure. But when the debt is graced because of the disposition of the one who loaned the money, it can happen. That's what happens in this case. Um, The motive was the graciousness of the lender. Jesus then takes this parable, takes the story, and fuses them so we understand the answer to our question what is the relationship between love and forgiveness? Jesus applies the parable to Simon. The Aramaic word for sinner literally means in Aramaic was the common vernacular at the time. It was the spoken dialect in this region. And the word for sinner is the word for debtor. And that's why in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our... And depending on your background, it's either debts or trespasses, because those images are connected. A debtor is a trespasser. A trespasser is a debtor. Um, then he, in, in applying this to this woman, who is a sinner and a debtor, because that's what sin is, it's having owed God. What do we owe God? We just went through a sermon series where it was clarified. We owe God to love one another. Let no debt remain in. Except the continuing debt to love one another, Paul writes. For he who has fulfilled the command, love your neighbor as yourself, has fulfilled the law. That's what we owe one another. And it's a debt that we can never have repaid. You take out a loan from a bank, when the loan is successfully paid off, the loan goes away. We can never come to the end of our obligation to love others. That's the image that Paul says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. And the point is, don't get alone. The point is, understanding when it comes to love, you can never have loved enough. That's what, it's one of those things that we continue to aspire to. Uh, Jesus says, in applying this then, he turns toward the woman and says to Simon, do you see this woman? Again, I came into your house. You do not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You do not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You do not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. What Jesus is focusing on is not so much the deeds, but the the love that is manifested in the deeds. The washing, the kissing, the hair. It's its not the acts that are being looked at, but it's the love that's expressed by the acts. That's what Jesus is looking at. Look at this love. Look at this love. That's the point of this story. And uh, this Pharisee, he probably has performed the necessary duties with respect to hospitality. He hasn't... The issue is not so much that this guy is such an ungracious host. It's about this woman's love. This guy did probably what he needed to do. Jesus is looking at this woman and what she did, not Simon and what he did not do. Um, The sinful woman has lavished her devotion on Jesus. She doesn't just wash his feet. She has brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and she's anointing, perfuming his feet. Her love is greater, and it says, because her forgiveness is greater. And it would seem, then, in terms of the parable, the one who has been forgiven much loves much. The one who has been forgiven little loves little which I believe what ended up happening. This woman doesn't get forgiven here. She's already been forgiven. She has already heard Jesus. He expressed to her, you can be forgiven. And she did something that causes this. What she does is she believes it. She believes she's forgiven. She experiences it. And she finds out that Jesus is at this banquet. And she almost can't keep herself away. She has lived so long under the shadow of divine hate reflected in the eyes of those who spoke for God. That when this person whom she knows speaks for God says, you're forgiven, it she cannot, she, she believes it. And she finds out where she is and this belief and grief, all of it pours out from her eyes on his feet. She pours out Expressions of love. Do you know what these expressions of love are? These expressions of love? They're signs of forgiveness. The tears are there because the forgiveness hit the heart. How do we know? Look at this woman. Look at her. It's real in her. She believes that that's why the tears, that's why the anointing, that's why the hair, that's why this whole scene. She believes she's forgiven. And she has to express this belief. Her love is the consequence of her forgiveness. That is the answer to the question. Her love is the result of the forgiveness Not the reason for it. And I think that's Luke's point. And that's what we are to take from this. Um, She loved much, again, doesn't state the reason for the forgiveness, but why we know the forgiveness exists. How do we know forgiveness exists? That's how we know. Hmm. This is repentance. This is repentance. Repentance literally means to think differently. That's what it means. A change in thoughts. It's a change in acting rooted in a change in thinking. That's what repentance is. A change in acting rooted in a change in thinking. Repentance has a from- And to two, what you're moving from and what you're moving toward. This woman is moving from a sinful life. She is moving toward Jesus and faith in him. I have a question. What matters more? What she's moving from or what she's moving toward? What's more compelling, more important? Ask it a different way. How would Simon answer that question, the Pharisee? What's more important, the life she's leaving or the life she's entering? Another question. How would Jesus answer the question? more important the life she's leaving or the life she's entering how about this question how would you answer the question how would you answer the question what matters more to God talk about repentance from sin repentance has a from and a to. Let's say that's what you're moving from. And that's what you're moving to. This is not repentance. It's a behavior. And you really want to stop it. Because you know it's wrong. You can't back away from it. This is not repentance. Repentance is not this. I gotta stop that. I've really got to stop that. That's not repentance. That's not a change in direction. Let me tell you what repentance is. This is repentance. Moving toward Jesus. Moving and what is it that Jesus wants you to move towards? The reason why he'll express forgiveness from is so you can show love toward. That's what matters more to Jesus in this story. Um, forgiveness seems to be the reason forgiveness precedes love. The movement to this kind of life is fueled by forgiveness. It's the reason for love, not the result. Love is the result of forgiveness, not the reason. Look what it says in Second Peter 1. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. The reason for forgiveness? It's the same reason for the money lender. Grace. Bestowing a favor. Somebody who does something that they don't have to do. Somebody owes somebody something. We owe God love. We have not loved. We have not loved. We have not loved ourselves. We have not loved others. And maybe we didn't express that lack of love in being a sinful prostitute, if that's what this woman's deal was. But you cannot be a prostitute and still not be very loving and demand what you want. Prioritize what you need. You don't have to be immoral to be selfish. Bitter. Rigid unforgiving yeah um, the reason for forgiveness is the promises of God freely given things where God allows us to partake participate in his nature and in so doing escape the corruption in the in the world this is what we find in the story this woman must have been exposed to the teaching of Jesus and she heard this promise, And here's the deal that happened. She didn't just hear it as something that he said to everyone. A promise that he speaks to everyone. She didn't hear Jesus say it to the person beside him or her. She heard the promise personally. She heard it personally. And she believed it personally. In order to believe a promise, you have to have had it spoken to you. It's got to be personal. Jesus says, because of what he's done, you're forgiven. Here's the deal. Do you believe it? Say, what's the deal, Mike? To the degree you believe it is the degree you're going to love. And to the degree you don't believe it is the is the degree to which love's going to be difficult. Always be checking your spiritual pulse, trying to figure out if I'm good enough to deserve forgiveness. That's not the way it works. That's the way Simon lived. Simon, as a Pharisee, was not a bad guy, very moral, very upright. Probably had good kids. Kids who would never do what this woman does. The only problem was, because he'd been forgiven little, he loved little. And this woman, because she was forgiven much, loved much. Hmm. It's quite a story, isn't it? Quite a story. This This woman had no problem knowing she was sinful. She can't live in denial. She can't use comparison to blunt the force of guilt like we can. At least I'm not like... In spite of Jesus' teaching, it's still very difficult for us to avoid the temptation to categorize sin into greater and lesser, higher and lower, worse and better. Um, Matthew 5, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, Jesus said, do not murder And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Just for being angry? Subject to judgment? Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. He says murder is the basis for indictment, but so is anger. I tell you that anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Calling someone raka is an indictable offense. Calling him a fool is even worse. By the way, fool is milder than raka. The word raka, it, it means, it, 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 it translated empty-headed, worthless, vain. The root really means to spit. As to call somebody a spithead, I said spithead. <laughs> calling someone a fool is milder than calling a, a spithead. Uh in danger of the fire of Gehenna. Gehenna is a valley outside of Jerusalem. And it was a place in Jerusalem's history where child sacrifice had been practiced which God never, never, he, anyway, that's what happened. So they set this place aside as a refuge heap where they burned things. They burned refuse. Um, they set it on fire. And when the Bible talks about the smoke rises forever and ever, that's it speaking of the image of the Valley of Gehenna. Um, real quickly, by the way, I just, I can't, Anybody been to Jerusalem? Ever visit there? Anybody? Been there? Been to Jerusalem? Okay. Yeah. The valley is not still on fire. It's not still on fire. You said the smoke rises forever in the valley of Hinnom, But there's no smoke now. What does that mean? What is the image of the smoke rises forever. You know where I'm going to go with this. Is that really what hell is? Where somebody's always being baked alive? I don't believe so. I think annihilation is a possible effect. That's what happens in the Valley of Hinnom. There's no fire now. No fire. It went out. Why? Because what was set on fire is gone. Gone. Doesn't exist. And I think that is a possible, plausible, for real, for what I would say, the right image of hell. Does hell exist? Absolutely. Is it a place where somebody is set on fire from now until 8 zillion years in the future? Eh, no, it isn't. No. And you don't have to throw the Bible out to believe that. In a nutshell... We obsess about big sins. We obsess about big sins, big sins, and um, we feel better about ourselves by comparing our sins with somebody whose sins are greater. We feel better about ourselves. At least I don't do that. I might get it. I might, I might, I might but at least I don't do. Um, This passage of Matthew gives us pause, doesn't it? The way God judges things is not the way we do. Jesus throws a wrench into this type of thinking, because what he'll say, again, we got to apply this. Guess what? Greater sin begets greater love. Okay, good, Mike, great. Mm-hmm. Okay, Mike said, go and sin it up. So that I can be forgiven for a bunch and love a bunch, right, right, right Mike? Right, right, is that what I hear? Uh, nah, no. However, I think the point is, it prioritizes what repentance leads to. It's not the from, it's the to. This is God's end game. Love. Love. A private morality that doesn't lead to a public morality, somebody who makes sure they never violate any of these moral imprecations but live a selfish life, is not this. And this is what Jesus prioritizes, love. And this love is predicated upon forgiveness. That seems to be the point. Love matters most to God. Public morality, not private morality. Love is the result of forgiveness, not the reason for it. Talk about the result of forgiveness. The result of forgiveness. Look what it says in Second Peter 1. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness, love. I'm going to read that list again. Now you tell me if anything has been left out. We want to make sure that list is complete, because this passage tells us what needs to be in place for these virtues to become evident in our life. Okay, I'm going to read them again. Okay. Um, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Goodness, knowledge. So knowledge, self-control. Self-control, perseverance. Perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. You want to be loving? It gives a progression. Here's my question. What is that? The foundation of this structure of Christian virtue. What is it that it rests on? What is the first thing that's mentioned? Add to your faith. Here's the question. Faith in what? Faith in what? In forgiveness. Say hot. Oh, come on, Mike. Well, isn't that what it says? Look what it says. The last line of this. If anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been what? Cleansed from his past sins. Oh! You mean faith and forgiveness is the foundation? Yes! And not just forgiving the big sins, the anger, the backbiting, the slander. Why is forgiveness forgotten? Why is forgiveness forgotten? You understand how important it is to remember forgiveness? Because love comes from it. Why do we forget forgiveness? If we forget forgiveness, we're not going to be able to add goodness and knowledge and self-control. Self-control comes from the ability to believe you're forgiven. Probably kindness, Christian love, at all depends on faith, faith and forgiveness. Why in the world do we forget forgiveness? A couple reasons, I think. We believe it can't cover me. It can't cover me. I've done things that God can't forgive. And for that, this woman becomes an encouragement, doesn't she? This woman becomes an encouragement. We don't know what, what she did. But what we know is that when Jesus said you're forgiven, she believed it. And so if you are a person who believes that you cannot be forgiven, then what I want to point out is that woman and tell you, use her as a model. She heard a promise and she believed it. And because she believed it, it ushered in a transformation. Um, Some of us, it's not that we say that it cannot cover me. We say it need not cover me. It need not cover me because I don't do things like this never have don't smoke or chew or go with girls who do (laughs) and the one who is our challenge isn't in the picture it's Simon the Pharisee he is our challenge and he's not in the picture why isn't he in the picture Because he didn't believe he really, he might need to be forgiven, but not really, not like this woman does. And because he was not forgiven much, he didn't didn't love much. Simon didn't love much. Simon didn't love much. Simon didn't love much. Because he didn't think that he had a real need to be forgiven. So, if you don't think that you need for your sin to be covered, then Simon is your challenge. Ask the worship team to come up. Um, Comparisons blunt the need for forgiveness, and they drain the capacity to love. Again, this woman, though, it's a great story. It's a great story. A woman who hears a promise and because she hears it and believes it, it becomes the foundation for, and we don't know where she landed, it created something real. and something that led to love. Father, thanks for Jesus and the clarity, power with which he both reflected your values and taught us about them. Whether our debt be great or little, sins be grand or small, I'd ask that we would be able to embrace forgiveness. Um, It's via faith in your forgiveness that we're able to partake of the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Faith in that forgiveness is the foundation. We could add to that faith goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and brotherly kindness and love. It begins with that. And I pray that we wouldn't forget it. We do really want to be the people you want us to be. Help us to move in that direction so that our forgiveness would reflect itself in love. In Jesus' name, amen.